Okay, so we've been doing our series, which is looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. And Adrian introduced last week that we're having a bit of a focus now on looking at build up towards Christmas. So obviously looking at the Old Testament, the direction going towards Christmas, because starting to go towards Christmas now. So he, he shared as well last week, which I, I, I can't believe, but he said he can be a bit of a Scrooge about Christmas, about certain things. Now, I'm probably completely the opposite because I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the food. I love the decorations. I love fairs. I love all of it. Get really excited about Christmas. Oh, yeah, and obviously Jesus' birthday and that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I really enjoy Christmas. But Christmas doesn't start until the 1st of December. Let's be very clear here. It drives me bananas. I walk into the, into the supermarket. It's, everything's Christmas now. It's like everything already. And I, I still remember, I think it was the first weekend in September, I took my boys to one of the um, garden centres, and we walked in, and all the barbecues were out, and all the Christmas lights were in. And I was like, we're months away. And for me, I'm like, that's not how it should be. We need to wait. But... So I thought, you know, as part of my look, maybe I'll look in the Bible. Maybe it's biblical that actually we should wait until December. But I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything there. In fact, actually, as I looked, I realized that actually God planned a lot earlier than a few months. A lot earlier. In fact, if we look, his plan started hundreds, actually thousands of years before the first Christmas. If, If we look back, actually, if we look at the fall, when Adam and Eve first sinned, the first, one of the things God spoke to them afterwards, and he spoke to the serpent, and these are the words that come in Genesis 3, verse 15, and the serpent was obviously Satan, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, it wasn't just talking about people and snakes, though a lot of people don't like snakes. My wife really doesn't like snakes. What it was speaking of was actually that Eve's descendant would crush Satan. And of course, this was speaking about Jesus. So at the point of the fall, when sin entered the world, God already had started his rescue plan. He already had it in place to plan to rescue us from sin. At his point of great disappointment, because he, he, he must have been disappointed, but he knew that sin had driven a gap between him and mankind, but already he was looking at his plan to restore that relationship with him. So that's what I want to look at this morning. So as we look back, so that was the start. That was one of the first points. But I want to look forward a little bit into to Genesis 12. A Lord, um, God was speaking to Abraham, and this is what he said, and this is in Genesis 12. And he said, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham at the time may well have been quite focused on the great nation part and thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is going to come from me. This is going to be my children. It's going to become a great nation. It's going to be a blessing. But God was speaking even further. He was speaking about the family tree of Abraham. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And that's because his line went all the way to Jesus. In fact, we can look at the line now. If you look in Matthew 1, I'm not going to read out all the genealogy because it's quite long, but I'm going to pick at the beginning so we can see. 
We have Abraham, which is what Abraham was then called. And then it says he was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. I'm going to skip a little to verse 6. And then Jesse, father of King David. So David, who was the father of Solomon, we know that, you know, it's quite a recognized line. Now, there was a specific prophecy that Jesus would come from the line of David. So again, this is linking it together. And if we go down to the end, which is into verse 16, so you can see, it's quite a long section. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And it says in verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 42 generations. That's a long plan ahead. But God put in place that family tree for Jesus through this time, And throughout that time, there were prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, prophesying that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be where he would be born, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he would be pierced and suffer, that he would be resurrected, and that it was God's plan for him to bear our sins and suffer in our place and build a new covenant relationship with God for us. This was the plan. This was... God's plan. It started thousands of years before. This wasn't a last minute thing. You know, sometimes my Christmas plans can be last minute. My wife is very organized. She has lists and stuff. Me, on the other hand, I'm, I'm a little bit more fortunate these days with internet shopping that I can kind of do it a little bit um, more ahead. But I'm not a planner, but God is a planner. He knew what he was doing. And as it says in, in Galatians 4, this is verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we may receive adoption to sonship. When the set time. God had that place and that time in his mind at the beginning. That's because he had a plan. He had a plan to bridge the gap between us and God that sin had created. Arjun last week spoke about we have a God of justice. Now, justice is a really popular word now. And what do we feel when we talk about justice? It's like people getting what's fair or people receiving what they deserve. And we often people saying, where's the justice? There's such situations quite regularly when you hear, where's the justice? When perhaps someone escapes with a very lenient punishment or the punishment, you know, they don't get any punishment for something that we feel they should be. We have a strong feeling of it's wrong if someone gets away with wrongdoing. And it clearly states in the Bible, in Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now we've all sinned. And with the judgment that God is a judge, we should be judged. But if we carry on in in verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knew at the first point of that first sin in the Garden of Eden that he would have to make a payment for that sin. Because death had entered the world and the separation of us from God due to that sin had to be dealt with. He knew that it would be Jesus. He knew it then and that he would have to pay the cost. He planned ahead and put in place everything over millennia to give us the greatest gift ever given. Now, much as that greatest gift arrived at Christmas, we didn't really receive it until Easter when Jesus died on the cross for our sins to free us from the curse of sin. 
So we can now agree, I believe, that God planned ahead. He knew every detail of his plan for Jesus. But I wanted to say, you were all part of that plan as well. Because it was a rescue plan for us, for everyone in this room. Now, just to say, we started last Tuesday evening, we started our Freedom in Christ course. Uh, and we've got it again this Tuesday, and it's going to be running up to Christmas and slightly after. So it's going to be at 7.30 upstairs in the Beacon on Tuesday night. You're very welcome to come and join us. Oh, is it not? Oh, um, oh it's Encounter this week. There we go. Typical, isn't it? So, so scratch that one. Next Tuesday. So this week we've got Encounter, which is here in Revive, which is the time we worship together. But the following week we're going to have Freedom in Christ. Thank you. It's, good. it's always good if you'll keep me... So, but as part of that course of freedom in Christ, we look at specific truths of who we are in Christ and to be encouraged. And there's three specific areas it really looks at. And one of them is, I am accepted. One is, I am secure. And one is, I am significant. So that's, you are accepted. You are secure. You are significant. And I want to look at these statements some of the statements in relation to God's plan. Now, there's a whole list, but I'm going to go through a thing, looking at God's plan, and let's see. So the first one is, I have been bought with a price, and I belong to God. And that's based on 1 Corinthians 6. And then it's got, I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. So they're sitting under the I am accepted. See, God knew he was putting his plan in place to purchase your freedom. Not just mankind's. You individually, specifically, he chose to pay that price for you. And adoption, adoption is sometimes we can think as a negative thing, but actually adoption is a choice. You have to choose, and God chose to adopt you. He wanted you for his son or daughter. So looking at I am significant, the verse is there, as I am the branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine and a channel of his life, and that's based on John 15. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit, again, from John 15, and I am God's workmanship, from Ephesians 2. So he not only chose you, and you are his workmanship, but he wants you to bear fruit. So what does bearing fruit mean? He actually wants to partner with you to do his work, whatever situation you're in. He knows your situation. Your situation is different from other people's. You meet people that I don't meet. You do things that I don't do. God wants to partner with you in your situation. And you know what? You're not on your own because you're a channel for Jesus' life. He is in you. So the last area is the I am significant. Oh, sorry, I am secure. Sorry, I've changed the order slightly. So. I'm assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. And that's from Romans 8. I'm confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. So God not only chose you and wants to partner with you to do good work in and through you, but he cares about your circumstances and is working for your good through them all. Now, looking at those, some might find it quite hard that you, to believe that you were chosen and adopted. It could be a bit unbelievable that God wants to partner with you and dwell in you. But actually, I think the last area, the most, it could be really hard. If you're in a hard situation, it can be very hard to accept that God's hand is in your life to do good through all circumstances. Because we need to, to, sometimes we need to look back and see situations. And if we look back in that chronology, in those 42 generations, 
in the Old Testament, we see people on a roller coaster ride between the fall and Jesus coming. Many had to wait many years for answers to their prayers. And many never saw the prophecies they gave come to fruition. Actually, many never wouldn't have seen them completed in Jesus. They just would have known the truth of them. So that question comes, which is in these situations, is why does God make us wait? I'm not good at waiting. But actually, we can look at three areas in this. So the first one is waiting builds patience in our lives. Patience in waiting on small things leads us to having patience in waiting for bigger things. If we can wait for God in that small thing, or if we can't wait for God in that small thing, we're going to struggle to wait for him in the big thing. And often it's our perspective that's the problem. Our perspective is often very different from God's. We tend to think on bigger things like it might be our finances, our possessions, our job, these situations, things that are big in our lives. But while God's often thinking more about influencing and changing people, that that's the most important thing. And that's why sometimes we can get frustrated because things in our situation seem like this is the most important thing to me. And God does know that and he does care, but he can often be doing something in you, which leads us to the second point. Waiting transforms our character. Now, it's it. waiting has a way of rubbing off rub edges to our lives. You know, having to wait on things and it not arriving straight away means we have to deal with things. Most of us know the story of Moses. Now, he, he del- obviously delivering the Israelites from the Egyptians. It's a grand story of God doing great miracles. But we don't tend to talk about as much about Moses waiting for 40 years in the desert before God came to him. And why was that? 40 years is a, is a long time by anyone's guess. And that's because, actually, if you look at him as a young man, he was very brash and impatient. He, was impetu- he killed a man, he was impetuous and killed a man, and he hid the body. And when his sin was made public, what did he do? He ran away. And he was exiled to the desert. So that, God had to leave him for 40 years to shape his character. But when he was given a second chance, he opted to do it God's way. And in God's time. In the end, the Israelites were delivered from slavery and Moses became a great leader. Waiting transformed the life of Moses and it will do the same for us. And the last one is waiting builds intimacy and dependency on God. The reason we're able to read about the great men and women of the Bible is because they did have one thing in common. They were all people who learned that their success in life was directly proportionate to their intimacy and dependency upon him. For many of them, actually, it was a matter of life and death. Waiting during the difficult times developed their relationship with God. I want you to think now of some of your most intimate relationships, your best friends. Often the reason these people are your best friends is because you've gone through really difficult situations together. And they've stood beside you. And you've had to weather that storm. Now, there's some friends you, you have who are very are good friends. But when it gets really tough, there's always the certain people you come back to. Because you know they'll be there for you. And maybe this is like if you look in the scripture in Proverbs 18, uh, verse 24, it says that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the reason we get to read the stories of these great men and women is because they went through the difficulties of life with God. In the end, they enjoyed the process with God and the promise of God. 
But a caveat is it can be really hard to see God's plan in our lives at those times. I want to share a testimony I have of a situation. So if I take you back six years ago, six years ago in early April, uh, Lizzie, who's very heavily pregnant now, was pregnant with what would have been our first child. And we went along to do a scan where you scan to see the baby. And very sadly, when we went for the scan, there was a baby, but there was no heartbeat. Whew. That was really hard to deal with. The, you know, you had questions of what, why? Why has this happened? This is, this is really difficult. I don't understand. And we went through real turmoil through that. But we were really blessed. The next year, George, my eldest, came along, which was great. And then in 2016, we had Ben. And at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, my wife's very heavily pregnant with our third. And she's due in about a month. But it wasn't a plain ride to get here. We had a number of miscarriages along the way. And actually, one of them was including that was the beginning of this year. We, you know, if that baby, you know, we'd, we'd had that baby, we probably would have had it already by now. But actually, when I can step back, I can actually sometimes see God's plan in this and actually see a bigger picture. And a great example of this is when we had our scan in 2013, the date was the 10th of April, and it was a really disappointing and hard, and it, even now, when we go come around to that date, that's the exact date we found out that Lizzie was due to have our third. We found out on the same day. And actually, if we, we hadn't gone through that miscarriage, something that we can see God's plan in this is, my wife, is, she does a lot in education. She has been an assistant head teacher. She's now on maternity leave, which she's very relieved about. But she's been very involved in getting into schools and helping, and she's been helping with a particular school, sort of turning around uh, a situation where their head teacher had left and they were left in turmoil. And she got into that school and she worked there for just over 18 months. And she actually started her maternity leave just before half term, so just over two weeks ago. But this week, on Monday, she got a phone call from the school saying that they were having Ofsted to come to visit. Now, if there's any teachers, just the word Ofsted will probably <laughs> make them sort of cringe. Because cr Ofsted's a big deal for schools. This is, you know, they come in, review everything about the school, they review. And they, were, they phoned Lizzie up and said, we know you started your maternity leave, but would you mind coming back in? And she did, and she was able to go back in. Now, looking at God's bigger picture in this, she's been able to bless that school. And they've, you know, the encouragement, a lot of the letters and the cards that she receives, people saying, thank you so much for what you've done with our school. Now, if, if we'd had the baby at the time of that miscarriage, we would already had the baby two months ago. Lizzie would definitely not have been in a position to go in and be involved in Ofsted. In fact, she would have left the school probably earlier that she, where she's been involved. So I've been able to step back now and I look at, there's, God's got a plan in all this. And to fit with this, my, my brother, he's also got three children, he went through a similar experience where they had quite a lot of miscarriages in the way. And when he was doing his dedication for his youngest, Maddie, who's just started in September a degree in medicine, so that was a little while ago, but when they did her dedication, he shared, and I thought this, and this made me think of our situation, was the situation he shared was, we would never have had a Maddie because of the number of miscarriages they had. He said, we wouldn't have had that many children. So it was God's plan for Maddie. That was the child they were supposed to have. And actually, that really encouraged me. Because actually, when we look at these situations, we look at it very close. When we're there, going through it, it's hurting. How's God in this? But when we actually have time sometimes to reflect years sometimes later, 
we can actually see God's plans for it. So I look back at those times, and I know that though at the times I was asking why, one of the big things is I know he comforted Lizzie and I through it all. I had to lean on him. I had to, you know, I was asking why, but I knew his comfort through it all. And you know, as part of this, it's made me appreciate my children all the more. I know they're a gift from him, and I appreciate that. And also, I trust that he has a plan for my family that he's given me. But, as I said, at the time, I couldn't see these things. I wanted answers now. I wanted answers to my prayers now. I wanted them quickly. This is what we do when we're in difficult situations. Now, I want you to think about something. I've got something in my back pocket here. Has anyone else got one of these? It's a phone. (laughs) I think most people in the room will have one. Now, I could do something right now. I could swipe my phone. I could take a selfie of myself. Nice photo of me. I could put it onto various social medias. I, 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 you know, I'm not advertising specific ones. Something like Instagram or Facebook. And if I put that picture up there, it will be there instantly. And my father-in-law, Liz, Lizzie's dad, they've just flown on Friday night to Australia. So they're the other side of the world. They're 10,000 plus miles away. But if he happened to be, which he could be very jet-lagged at the moment and up in the middle of the night, and if he looked on social media, he would see that photo straight away. That's, that's the world we live in. Everything is instant. If you think 15 years ago, did everybody have a photo on their, cam- on their phone, a, a camera on their phone? No. Most people might have had digital, digital cameras. A lot of people had them then. So that was quite quick. You could take a photo. It went onto a card. You could copy it onto your computer. But again, it was slower then. Now, I'm going to really take you back even further. If you, if you remember back in the 90s, 80s, even before that, who remembers getting films and having to put them in an envelope and send them away? <laughs> Or going to, the, going to a shop and giving it in, and you could pay for the fast, fast development the next day. <laughs> you know, th- things were slower. And actually, it was great because you could get your photos back and realize you had your finger over the camera the whole time. <laughs> so, but there was delays in that. You know, now we take a photo, we look at it and go, not quite right, delete. Let's take another photo. Then there was a time that you had to wait. You had no choice. It wasn't that there was another option. But if we go back 500 years to 1503, a man called Leonardo da Vinci started painting one of the most famous masterpieces, the Mona Lisa. And I've got a picture of it. This took four years to complete. Instant? Four years. We're not good at patience. Because that's this, the world we live in now doesn't encourage it. Everything needs to be immediate. In that Freedom in Christ statement, it said, I am God's workmanship, and that's from Ephesians 2. And it says, the whole, the whole of Ephesians 2 said, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In some translations, it actually says, masterpiece, God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. God's taking great care, and he might take his time with you. It's not a quick photo, yep, you'll do, you're in. It's a masterpiece. This is, you know, if, if, you showed, if I'd shown you this and asked you what it was before, most people would have known this, because it is, it is famous. It's sitting in the Louvre gallery, gallery in Paris. It's in security, because it is so precious. Because it's a masterpiece. God's rescue plan for you started thousands of years ago. He hasn't given up. We don't have a God who stepped back 
or who's fallen asleep at the wheel. We have a God who cares about each of us individually. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, then you know that. If you haven't, maybe you're here this morning and you feel, you know, I, I don't know this. And you haven't chosen that rescue plan. I want to encourage you. Do you know, his rescue plan is available. It's been available for thousands of years, but it's still available to you now. He chose and thought about you when he put this plan in place in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a plan for mankind that was a broad stroke. He knows each of us individually. If you're sitting here this morning, it's for you. But if you have chosen to follow Jesus, but maybe you struggle to accept the truth that he has plans for you specifically. Maybe you feel you're just along for the ride and don't really feel that valued. I want to encourage you. Do come along to our Freedom in Christ course that we're running. One of the things in there is this truth about who you are to God and in him. You need to know that you are his masterpiece, not a quickly taken photo. And lastly, I just want to say, if you're in tough circumstances, you know, I, I shared a situation we, I was in, but... You may be in a really tough circumstance right now. I want to tell you that he loves you and he does have a plan for you in spite of your circumstances. But while God is there through these circumstances to support us, like I shared that testimony, I felt his comfort. He also puts people in our lives to stand with us. You only have to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked the disciples to pray with him. He didn't just walk off on his own originally. He said, pray with me. So if you would like some people to come and stand with you, we want to do that. You can either talk to someone you know who's come with you this morning if you're a visitor, or if someone you know, we have our our small midweek groups that normally meet, but at the moment we're doing Freedom in Christ. We have small groups who people who want to support you. Because, and we've got a team here who would be happy to pray with you as well. Because God puts us in a family. This is the thing. The adoption thing is he puts us in a family. He doesn't just put you, you're with me, and that's when you're on your own. and You've just got to trust in me. He puts us together with family to support us. And actually, there are times when you will need support. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are other times when you'll be asked to support. And I just want to encourage you, if you are in that place at the moment, when I shared about that area of trusting in God's plan, and if you are feeling, I can't see it. You don't know the situations I'm in. How how can God be in this situation? I just want to encourage you this morning. We would love to support you. There's people here who would love to support you, love to pray for you, and encourage you through it. Because God does care about you individually. So I'm going to ask the band to come up in a minute, but I just want you to think on that. I want to encourage you this morning that if you know that there are things that you're battling with and you need that support, I want to encourage you to respond to that and say, okay, I do need... And it might just be saying to the person next to you, I want you to pray for me. And it might be just getting encouragement from them to pray for you a couple of times a week, or it might be more than that. But don't just leave it. If your situation and people don't know about it and you're holding it in, and you're hiding it, as it were, and it might be, but I'm really struggling with this. God wants to reveal it. He wants you to have help with it, have support with it. He's there in it. He's there through you. And if you are struggling with the second part, which was where I was saying, you're struggling to realize you are his masterpiece. I want to encourage you, the, the verses that I had was a snapshot of some of the bits in Freedom in Christ, but there are specific verses that tell you who you are in him. The truth 
And this is so important, knowing that he loves you and he's got a plan for you and he cares for you and you're adopted. He picked you. Because it's easy to say, well, I just came along because I did, you know, decades ago, my parents came along and I came to church and I've never really left. Or, you know, I came along with my friend, but I'm, it's not really for me. It's easy to do that. But that's not God's plan. God chose you. You. 